0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative
1: truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
0: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our life, our liberty, and our property, not those of others. If you want to run for office in Ukraine, you're certainly welcome to do so. But folks, at this point, either your blood is boiling or it's clotting one or the other (laughs) that is where we are in america today everything is messed up our government has become the enemy of the people and either you are blind to it so therefore you got the clot shot although some people were forced or if you don't have the clotting well your blood is boiling so we have a lot to get to today Uh, Being that a lot has occurred over the weekend, but I wanted to do a deep dive today into the border, the repercussions of what is going on, the magnitude and scope of the invasion into our country or civilization, what states need to do about it, what they should do about it, why we would have deterred it had states done this a long time ago, and the legal moral rationale for doing so. Um. You know, if we do have time, man, there's a lot going on. 15 15 athletes, 15 tennis players at the Miami Open dropped out. I I used to watch tennis a lot, a little bit less so recently. I've never heard of anything like that. There's now a list of 769 athletes that collapsed this year. 769. This is globally, not just in the U.S., I don't know what to tell you guys. It's an insane percentage increase over the typical average. But unfortunately, it's not enough for people to wake up. And that's how they could create a paradigm where your life could appear normal. But there are so many crazy things going on around you. And if you are not told to get excited about something by the news, you won't. There's a group of us, a percentage that we seem to be immune from this onslaught of the news, but the majority seem to be taken in by it. So that's where it is, folks. I don't know if we're going to have time to get into the clot shot stuff, but we certainly will touch on that with guests later this week. But I want to start with Border Lives Matter. So when we got off the air on Friday, it was announced That they are ending Title 42, that is the healthcare-related provision, the the health emergency-related provision, that the Trump administration began in 2020 to expel immediately all single adult uh, illegal aliens that were coming across the border. Biden partially suspended that, and now they announce that they're suspending that effective in about six weeks or so. So evidently, having, what is it, 2.5 million people slated to come here this year, the size of the city of Chicago, in one year is not enough. They want to bring in even more people. Some estimates by CBP officials are telling Fox News that you could have 500,000 people come across a month. Six million a year. Okay? Okay much greater than the size of the city of L.A., come across. I want you to conceptualize and fathom what that will do to a culture, what that is doing. Perhaps, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it will wake people up. I don't know. I don't know how bad that needs to get. But there should have been an immediate response from every Republican governor to say, no, Moss, we're not doing this. We are blocking this. Now, I want to discuss how they can do this, but obviously the federal Republicans you know, in the House and Senate, yeah, they can't do anything because they already gave up their leverage in the omnibus bill knowing that Biden would do this. And I just want to make very clear, you don't need Title 42, which is a health emergency-related provision, to have sovereignty and to block an invasion. There's ample authority for that in Title 8, which is the immigration title. Um, but again, this is not about immigration. You reach a point where it's a straight-up invasion, and we've long crossed that point. Article 4, Section 4, federal government has, is it's called the Guarantee Clause. They guarantee states protection against an invasion. They have abrogated that. We no longer have a legitimate government in any sense. Think about this. The same government that locks down our bodies, that is kicking people out of the military for not getting a clot shot created by a private entity, they're inviting, affirmatively, the entire world and all the worst actors around to crash our border and be resettled here on America's dime. On your dime. You know what I mean? It's not a matter of, oh, they're violating immigration law. I mean, they are, but it's much more fundamental than that. They're violating the bare minimum foundation of a social compact that a government is formed upon. They have no legitimacy to govern anymore. You have to remember that. They're talking about Ukraine and Biden wants to impose more sanctions on Russia. You're going to continue hearing that garbage. How you could care about that when this is happening at our border? And it would be bad enough if it was just an invasion of illegal aliens. And by the way, these are not just uh, you know harmless people. Every day you could see, even with all the censorship in the government, CBP puts out press releases on all the sex offenders they catch at the border. And like we've talked about over the years, only a small minority of those are caught because – while they send over the families in large numbers, that's when the cartels uh, take, you know, 30, 40,000 from the criminal element to cross them clandestinely. Some of them get caught, but most of the time they're pretty successful. So, you know, we're, we're already averaging a pace of 160,000 illegals caught per month and about another 100,000 that get away, and it's those guys that are insane. I want you guys to quantify for a minute what this means. So border lives do matter, and we talked about what this means when all these people are traipsing through the ranches of our border um, ranchers. Just speaking today with a prosecutor in in a Texas county, um, how they have come across people with known criminal records, very problematic people. Imagine living in a nice frontier and that's what's coming across. But we know that what comes across there doesn't stay there. It's in every city. As if we don't have enough crime already. Okay? As if we don't have enough crime. We have to import the crime of the world. Okay? You go back in a typical year, this year Biden suspended all immigration enforcement, but a typical year, FY 2018, ICE apprehended criminal aliens in one year, racking up 542,000 criminal convictions and arrests. 2,028 homicides. Remember, we only arrest about you know 9, 10,000 or so on homicide in a given year. 5,500 robberies, 11,700 weapons offenses, 50,000 assault charges, 76,000 drug charges, 80,000 DUIs, and 12,000 sexual offenses. And these are only, they only list the categories of which there are more than 1,000. So all the ones that are less are not even listed there. Just the DUIs alone, the amount of Americans every year that are killed by drunk drivers. It's part of the machismo culture among these illegals. It is utterly insane. See, a lot of times the crimes are within their own communities if you feel, okay, I don't live there, whatever. Um, But remember, we had this Daytona Beach couple that was brutally murdered in what the police chief of Daytona said was the most brutal murder he's seen in his career. And this guy was previously arrested and let go. Imagine you have another country's criminal that's arrested for committing a crime and that somehow is not his last crime committed in the country's, released. So sometimes it does affect other people. And DUIs, you know, they're out on the streets so it could hit anyone. That is just the, the measure of how much we've had in a given year. As of a few years ago, there were 3.26 million illegal aliens on ICE's undetained docket. ICE, as you well know, even under Trump, only really targeted those those with criminal records. So there were more than 3 million that they knew about. A lot of them they don't know about. That they knew about and targeted and, and remained in the country. So... And this is... I'm quoting to you from older reports because... The government doesn't track this anymore because they don't want you to know. Nine years ago, DHS estimated, based on ICE programs and local jails, that there were 1.9 million criminal aliens in the country and that 900,000 aliens were arrested every year for crimes. They note that 550,000 criminal alien, aliens convicted of crime exit law enforcement custody every year and that the population of criminal aliens poses a major threat to public safety. This was 9 years ago before we're on the third wave of Central American migration. Now it's a lot from Mexico again. But um you know that was kind of when it died down with the great recession. You can't even compare where we were then to now. It's a quantum quantum leap. So that is the scope of the issue. I if you are a politician, And you're not talking about this. Now, obviously, the biggest issue is our bodies. Our own government is poisoning our bodies. And people are dropping dead left and right. The second biggest story that affects every aspect of a government, a country, a civilization, a community, of safety, fiscal solvency, crime. At a time when it's enough of a medical emergency, healthcare emergency, to make rape victims and two-year-olds wear diapers on planes over their breathing, but it's not enough to keep out millions of invaders. Okay? So that is the scope of the problem. Anyone who is not talking about this, they're just virtue signalers. They have no virtue. Now, folks, it's not just our society and our border that's messed up. Our economy is backwards. Riding horses to work because people can't afford a Um, it's actually in the news, people can't afford driving their car, making your own soap, because it's not just food and fuel, it's gone up in price, hacking gas pumps, seems like Biden's America is right on schedule, but we've dug up something that gives us hope, because JP Morgan declared that alternatives are no longer optional, and they're encouraging everyone to look outside of just stocks and bonds. Now, one of the hottest markets on earth is actually an unexpected alternative, art believe it or not, investing in art. I've had this problem because the market's always high and I never know when to put in and then it goes higher and I'm too scared to put in. But then if you leave your money where it is, my gosh, I mean, you lost 7% just in one year if uh, you don't fight against inflation. Now, typically art used to be, okay, you buy a painting. Well, who has a million dollars to buy a painting? But here's the deal. You can now invest in through Masterworks in – as be a part of an art. You could – just like you're investing in any other portfolio. It's not just for billionaires anymore. Anyone could do it with Masterworks. Uh, the returns have outpaced S&P by 164% for at least uh, the last 25 years. Masterworks is the first platform letting anyone add shares of famous art to their portfolio. My listeners can skip Masterworks waitlist by going to masterworks.art slash conservative review. Again, that's masterworks.art slash conservative review to find out more and skip that waiting list. I'm sure you have some money to put in that you're just sitting with and losing to inflation. So again, go there, masterworks.art Dot art slash conservative review see important regulation a disclosures at masterworks.io/cd okay so in a sane world the minute that biden biden's dhs announced this on friday governors should have gotten together and issued a joint press release every republican governor all 27 or so of them and announced that we are not going to do this you cannot violate immigration law and expect us to deal with an invasion it's time for states to start their own deportation program among other things that i'm going to outline in the column tomorrow but i'm going to give you a sneak peek of it now um a lot of people are going to be like well daniel um i didn't know i thought states aren't allowed to do that well, is the federal government allowed to do what it's doing? See, this is the difference between what it means to be a true patriot and a phony conservative. The latter, all they care about is conserving the other side's gains. You can't have the other side break the rules of the game and then mid-game you apply three, three strikes. Okay? The reason, as Scalia always said, that states, that, that the feds assume control was to make sure California doesn't screw up other states. It was to affirm the sovereignty of a state, not to break it. Okay, Because understanding was, let's say you have one state bringing people in under loose, looser guidelines. They could then travel to others and screw them up. But if the federal government is not just not securing the border, but orchestrating an invasion, well... Yeah, I mean, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And and again, this is an important concept that we need to deal with now. The problem is that you we have waited too long to enact all of the solutions that in a vacuum would comport with statutes, much less stupid case law. Okay? Because the other side violates the most sacred statutes on the most fundamental issues every single day. Again, you can't have a ball game where one side, when they're up in the top of the inning, they have 30 outs and you have three. You could either both have three or I get my 30 and then we can reset it anew. And again, this reverberates on many other issues. We're going to have this disagreement with the well fed conservative movement on, on what to do with a lot of issues now. It's a similar thing with, well, you can't tell private businesses uh, not to mandate clot shots and kill people. Well, they only got that gain through a bunch of illegalities, so garbage in, garbage out. So, kind of my same philosophy on fighting COVID fascism, biomedical tyranny in the so-called private sector and the censorship. It's similar thing here with states versus the feds on illegal immigration. I just want to go over first the philosophical underpinning and then get to the truth of the Constitution that a lot of people don't real, realize about states enforcing immigration law. We all know the famous adage the Constitution is not a suicide pact my knowledge, that came from Justice Robert Jackson. He was a great champion of individual rights due process. He was the lead prosecutor in Nuremberg, and he was the lead dissenter in the Japanese internment case, Korematsu. So there is a case in 1949, Terminiello v. Chicago. And his fellow justices ruled that a Chicago ordinance leading to the conviction of this Fascist speaker, that they convicted him on a basically an ordinance that they claim he violated, that stirred up public anger and invited dispute and brought about you know violence. So, um, his fellow justices at the Supreme Court ruled that that ordinance was unconstitutional. It was unconstitutional, and in other words, he had the First Amendment right to speak his mind. Despite the fact that this disorderly conduct conviction, overturned by his colleagues, was a direct infringement upon the sacred First Amendment, Still Jackson, who himself was a big champion of individual rights, wrote in his famous dissent that you reach a point when, quote, the choice is not between order and liberty, it is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. There's a danger that if the court does not temper its doctrinaire logic with a little practical wisdom, it will convert the Constitutional Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. That was his famous statement. So even though, I mean, the Chicago Ordinance clearly did violate the First Amendment, but in this scenario, he felt that the majority reached the point of, quote, accepting the doctrine that civil liberty means the removal of all restraints to maintain order. He believed that treating this one aspect of the Constitution in a vacuum as a suicide pact, you know, at the dismissal of the rest of it, in the long run, would make, quote, the maintenance of free speech more endangered if the population could have no protection from the abuses which leads to violence. Okay? And that was his dissent. Five of his colleagues disagreed. But what would he say in a case where the Constitution gives the authority to block an invasion? Obviously, that's why you have a country. These are foreign nationals who don't have a right to crash your border. And somehow you're going to say, well, I don't know. A state can't really do that, Daniel. I don't know. No. No. And by the way, you you might say this uh, principle... Of Constitution on a suicide pact, even against the First Amendment, was just a dissent, but not the majority. But a few years later, in Finer v. New York, 1951, um, the court did side with the authorities. Police in Syracuse, New York, who arrested a man for inciting a mob. This guy Irving Finer, he caused a riot in March 1949 in Syracuse when he urged black people to rise up in arms and fight for equal rights. So He directly caused called for that. He was arrested, charging with breaching, breaching the peace, after police told him to stop three times. But this time, a majority of the court did rule that civil liberties cannot make governments powerless to prevent a breach of the peace or to use considered judgment when faced with a crisis to exercise, quote their power and duty to preserve peace and order, given among other factors, the existing situation and the imminence of greater disorder. Now could you imagine how the breach of peace, the crisis and the existing imminent disorder at our international border would have been regarded by any normal judge in previous generations weighed against an illegal alien's fake claim to enter and fuel the mayhem. Okay? So that's my broader point here. We, we, we find a concept where even against the most sacred liberties like freedom of speech of an American, sometimes the broader order and peace and security trump that. You're telling me that the principle that all things equal, generally the feds should control immigration policy, not the states, would trump States protecting their sovereignty from an invasion that the feds are not only derelict in dealing with, but downright orchestrating. And again, where is the most recent example of when we saw this principle of the robustness of the police powers of a state that almost every federal court ruled that when it comes to the pandemic, there's literally nothing a governor or a mayor cannot do to you, including your own body without evidentiary standards without due process indefinitely everyone they could criminalize your existence and your breathing okay box you out of public goods and services public accommodations for not getting a clot shot we were we were told oh no 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 jacobs in the states they could do whatever they want and he, importantly, people forget one of the things they did was violate interstate travel. Remember the travel bans, where states put on bans on each other. As I always like to say, even under the Articles of Confederation, Article Four, states could not do that. They could regulate interstate uh, commerce, but not travel. Not if you're if you're an American, and this was even before we we formally had the constitutional republic. But, you know, during the Articles of Confederation government, from one state to another, one colony to another, um, you, you can't block the guy from coming in. We had Greg Abbott station state troopers on the border of Louisiana to prevent people from coming in in March 2020. And yet he won't do that on the international border for foreigners invading the country. By the way, during the same declared emergency, the declared emergency is still there. They're still using it against us in many, many ways. You can't have it both ways. Oh, Daniel, states can't do it. Oh, so then just say we still have a pandemic, the feds still have a declared emergency, we can't have hundreds of thousands of people every month coming from every corner of the world on different epidemiological curves bringing this stuff in. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. By the way, it's interesting, this comes at a time when Judge, Judge Jackson, this clown, uh, up for nomination for the Supreme Court, said, quote, I, not said, but it's in writing in a, in a survey, I do not hold a position on whether individuals possess natural rights. That is who she is. That's who all these people are. And not to go off on too much of a tangent here, but you should know Republicans do have full control to block it. People forget. They think, oh, Democrats control the Senate. Not really. I mean, kind of because of the VP's tying vote. But in terms of senators, it's 50-50. So on the Judiciary Committee, it is 50-50. Democrats do not have a majority. They have the committee chair, and they control the flow of order in the committee. They do. But when it, something comes up for a vote, it's 50-50. If every Republican would vote no, it would be a tie vote. They would have to change Senate rules to get her out to the floor. Why is there no effort to do that? Who knows? But that's where we are. Now, I wanted to note here, I just wanted to note that we don't even need to come on to the broad principle of the Constitution is not a suicide pact for states to act and unify together and create their own deportation regime. It's straight up in the law. Now, I I just, before I get to that, one other thing. People forget, in 2006, Congress passed the Secure Fence Act. And it's not just a border wall. Joe Biden voted for it. Chuck Schumer voted for it. It required the Secretary of Homeland Security to take all actions necessary within 18 months of passage to achieve and maintain operational control over the entire international land and maritime borders of the United States. Section 2B of the bill defined operational control as the prevention of all unlawful entries into the United States, including entries by terrorists, other unlawful aliens, instruments of terrorism, narcotics, and other contraband. Okay, that was a requirement. That's the current law. Don't give me this business. Oh, he could do this. He could do it. No. So states need to flip that on its head. People forget something called the compact clause. Some say it's a self-defense clause. Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. No state shall without the consent of Congress lay any duty or of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter in any agreement or compact with another state or with any foreign power, or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. So notice, right, we're not even talking, we're not saying that states should create their own, you know, military and bomb Mexico. We're just saying just remove the people. But you see, they could even engage in war if they're invaded, and then there's another call. Well, you say, well, it's not a formal invasion, Dana, or... In such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. And certainly they can't delay. Delay means like what they mean is because in those days it took time to travel and get back in Washington for the federal government to react. So it meant they don't have time to react. Nowadays we have a malvolent federal government so they refuse to act and they're a part of it. John Marshall during the Virginia ratifying convention. Right. John Marshall was a big federal government guy. He made it clear that this section affirms that the power given to the states by the people to repel an invasion is not taken away by the federal powers. Quote, when invaded, they can engage in war, as also when in imminent danger. He said that June 16, 1788. He said this clearly proves that the states can use the militia when they find it necessary. Okay? Okay. So states need to call up their National Guards and station them at their borders and remove them. Obviously, Texas and Arizona would take the lead at the border, but as a backstop, all states need to back them up. Okay. Um, Joseph Story said in his commentaries on the combat clause, writing that while the prohibition on states making war is obviously necessary, right, because you can't have 50 commanders in chief. It was wisely guarded by exceptions sufficient for the safety of the states and not justify open to the objection of being dangerous to the Union. He said still a state may be so, situa- so situated that it may become indispensable to possess military forces to resist an expected invasion or insurrection the danger may be too imminent for delay, and under such circumstances, a state will have a right to raise troops for its own safety, even without the consent of Congress. And again, they're talking about literally making more. We're just talking about a, more of a lower-level defensive measure, passively just, look, you can't come here. I mean, th- the authority is actually there. Remember, they didn't... It's not like we have a federal government and then we divided it into states. No, we started with states, and they ceded certain powers to the federal government, but often not completely. Madison originally drafted its language to be read as protecting against foreign violence, by the way. Now, he did put invasion in, but still, it's clear that it was not necessarily referring to a formal warfare with a nation-state. Okay? The cartels are more powerful than the Mexican government. Obviously, he was talking about back then uh, repelling violent incursions by Indian tribes. That's really what it was, because you didn't really have so many formal nation states. James Madison specifically cited Virginia using its militia to stop smugglers. Okay, so it's not a formal war, but that was an example of a valid exercise of this power. The import-export clause in Article 1, Section 10 also recognized that states retain they always retain their sovereign authority to to do like inspections so they have the right to use their police powers to inspect federalist 43 madison said about this clause a protection against invasion is due from every society to the parts composing it the latitude of the expression used here seems to be secure seems to secure each state not only against foreign hostility, but against ambitious or vindictive enterprises of its more powerful neighbors. Certainly nobody could tell you that the cartels that are engaging in human and drug smuggling are not ambitious and vindictive enterprises. Doesn't say nation state. Madison also said during, you know, as as Marshall said during the Virginia Ratifying Convention in 1788, states are quote restrained from making war unless invaded or in imminent danger when in such danger they are not restrained so folks it's not just the philosophical point of oh the constitution is not a suicide pact you can't have the feds you know destroy the states and the states you know limit them by statute you can't fight back but it's it's specifically i mean an invasion and violence from coming emanating from foreign actors hundreds of thousands of people flooding your services You have the right to keep them out. So again, this starts, in my mind, with Texas and Arizona, and I think other states should contribute, they should set up a compact, immediately removing everyone. They want to get rid of Title 42? Fine, we'll have our own title, our state title. We're going to remove everyone across the border. Then you have the criminal aliens... How is it that states keep ca- catching illegal aliens, commit, they commit crimes, and let them go? No. They should create new categories of crime through which to hold criminal aliens so they're not released. Meaning, if you are, you know, I would say trespassing, things like trespassing. So you're a foreigner trespassing here. That's a crime. And because you're a consummate flight risk, we're going to hold you. We're going to hold you without bail. Another thing is just information warfare. State I don't know why they're not doing this, but states need to publish every... I mean, I know why they're not doing it because Republicans agree with illegal immigration, but every, every week or month, the states should publish a report on how many crimes were committed by illegal aliens, how many arrests they made by criminal offense category. So people would be shocked if they saw the degree of of criminality coming from them that would spawn more people to be outraged about that rather than ukraine obviously as it relates to the new flow they need to stop the busloads at the border so the state's willing to do this station your national guard at the border to um you know when you get intel that they're sending people to you and then there's just cutting off the magnets there's something called the SAFE system. S-A-F-E. It's from DHS. They should use it to verify the legal status of anyone coming for any state benefit, whether it's a license, whether it's a welfare program, um, whether it's some sort of you know official legal status. Anything that any benefit, you're cut off. Done. Obviously mandatory you verify. No jobs. You have to check for a social security number. Um, most illegal aliens are able to reside in this country. Why? Because of identity theft. We need to massively expand the penalties for that. It's a terrible crime. It destroys people. Anyway, it should be expanded. But then, just zealously prosecute that. Obviously, states need to block remittances by illegals through the tax system and fees to, to Mexico. Challenge Plyler v. Doe. Cut off K-12, cut off all the bennies. Now, I know I'm going to hear the first day. well, Daniel, you the federal courts will say you can't do this. And Biden can do what he's doing? Now, look, this is the problem. One governor, let's say people are obviously going to think of the Florida governor, and he, he was on this show couple months ago and he said he would he would work with other governors to create a state deportation return to mexico policy the problem is for one guy to do it alone it's going to be very hard you know to stand up when we haven't created this precedent of, fu- of standing up to the federal courts but if they all got together this is what it would mean i just want you guys to understand it doesn't have to be this way this is what could happen if every republican governor would would stand up in unison Frankly, it wouldn't even happen if every Republican governor, the first sign of trouble, would have threatened this. It wouldn't have happened. And frankly, that's true of every other policy issue. The Democrats are so way out ahead of where even the average Democrat voter is on most issue, much less independent voter. But they're able to get away with it because Republicans allow them to get away with it. This is where we're going to have to head. If we want to continue to live in peace, either it would deter the entire border invasion or at the minimum, it would make it clear that if you come to a red state, your life is miserable and you'll be thrown out. So at a minimum, they'll go to the blue states. They'll go to California. Fine. Go there. They'll reroute the flow to California. See, so the reason why Texas has the most is just because if you understand the highways of Mexico, it's, just, it's a straighter shot up there. would reroute it to California. But states need to do their own external and interior enforcement. It's that simple. You cannot sit and go, oh, the federal court said you can't enforce immigration law. Yeah, well, you enforced immigration laws, so to speak, against Americans. Okay? COVID should have changed that. If they're going to have police powers, then believe me, we're going to use it when they're justified. So that's the point here, folks. I just wanted you guys to understand it doesn't have to be this way. They should have the authority to do this. They do have the authority to do this. Are they going to do it? No, because red states are really blue and Republicans are Democrats. So they're not going to do it. They don't care. Have you seen many comments from them since Friday? Maybe one or two put out a press release. I don't know. They're not threatening anything. But this is... In some ways, I'm hoping that it's going to get so bad that it will force this resolution, which, again, will have a trickle-down effect and help us for many, many other issues as well. Because, as as you well know... We need to do this anyway. We need to have the self-separating. I think this is a good way to do it. So that is on border stuff. Um, just wanted to get to at least some, uh, where is this, some, some clot shot stuff today. Um, Wednesday, I mean two days from now, FDA is meeting to approve the shot, I believe Pfizer shot, on babies and toddlers. Okay. And this is another opportunity for governors to stand up and say, you could approve it. We're not allowing the distribution of that in our states. But could you imagine that you would do it at this juncture after you declared the emergency over, except as it relates to when they want to, the variants have nothing to do with the original strain that the shot was created for, negative efficacy up the wazoo, and people just dropping. Again, this is a story my buddy J.D. Rucker wrote this. At the Liberty Daily. The tennis, he quotes from Free West Media The tennis world reacted with shock after favorites Paula Bedosa and Janice Siner had to retire during the quarterfinals of Miami Open. Okay, so it's not just early on, it's the quarterfinals. Bedosa, soon to be the number three in the world, became unwell during her match against Jessica Pagula and left the court in tears. Bedosa, who was confronted, uh, Comforted by her American opponent, decided to stop after consultation with her, um, her doctor. There, Pagula reached the semifinals of the Miami Tennis Tournament for the first time in her career after Bedosa resignation. Reported Yahoo Sports in the men's tournament, the Italian phenomenon Janik Sinner was forced to withdraw. He gave up after 22 minutes in the game against Francisco Curandolo, the number 103 in the ranking world, in the world. So, again, the number three gave up to the one o oh, the ranking 103. Um, and, yeah, the 23-year-old Argentinian surprisingly reached the semifinals with his first participation in the Masters Tournament in Miami, meaning the, the guys that ranked very low were able to get far <laughs> because the other guys quit. And there's a list of 15 of them. Now, remember... You're, you're going to hear a lot of news, and it's already all over the place. Oh, COVID creates heart elements. It's long COVID. But the problem is with the athletes, the reason why the athletes are such an important story is several reasons. Number one, they're all by definition, almost everyone to a person, is shot, shot up because they, they require it. They require it in all these tournaments. So they have the shots. So you can't say, oh, well, maybe it's COVID. Moreover, well, they have the shots, but maybe they got COVID too. But the shots you told me at a minimum were going to protect the blood-based disorders, even if it doesn't stop infection, we were told it would stop critical illness. Well, heart's a pretty big deal. Shouldn't the, the shots at a minimum protect from that? Moreover, the reality is when it comes to heart ailments, there's no such thing. The 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 virus definitely could affect your heart, but it does so immediately, and that's what kills people. There is no long term because it it either downs you or not. It's the shots that have the, the, the mRNA coding your genes to constantly be a spike factory forever. We still don't know how long it lasts, but we know at a minimum it's for months. The long COVID is more the, the brain fog, the disorientation, the headaches, not the heart issues. So there's that. It's, it's, it's truly unbelievable. Then there's an article <clears throat> at the Daily Mail. UK waiting time for ambulances is seventy minutes for heart and stroke problems. Like heart attacks and strokes. And it's buried in the article. Right? It's titled Stroke and a Heart Attack Victim is Routinely Having to Wait Seventy Minutes in Ambulance. Daily Mail. They mentioned, like, okay, you know, staffing shortages, pandemic, yada, yada. And they mentioned record demand. Why is there a record demand? Okay, so that's, again, straight out in the open. Another data point, excess deaths in Canada are up 24% for ages 0 to 44, just between July 31st, 2021, and October 2nd, 2021. So basically, just in August and September, those two months, excess deaths were up 24%. Gee, what, what occurred around that time? The mandates. Then what's interesting is, there's some, some other news here. If you go to ICanDecide.org, ICanDecide.org, they have the latest dump of 10,000 pages of documents from the court in Texas uh, re- released by the FDA, from Pfizer's documents. By the way, we have nothing from Moderna released, but Pfizer's documents. There's a document, it's like a 30-page document, Pfizer trial informed consent dated December 15, 2021. Page 5, they admit that myocarditis incidence could be between 1 in 1,000 and 1 in 10,000. So we were told first there was a 1 in 100,000, 1 in 50,000. Some studies said it was 1 in 8,000. They're now going down as low as 1 in 1,000. They're willing to admit that in their document, 1 in 1,000. And again, we, we know when it boils down to it, those were just the immediate ones. But now what we're seeing is this long-term inflammation. That's why the, um, the athletes are so important. They're the canary in the coal mine. They're the ones that, that engage in the most rigorous cardio sort of exercises and, and activity. So if you have some budding inflammation and scarring on the, on the muscle there, it, it, it could arrange. It could take time to come out. They're going to get zapped first. Other people, it's more forgiving. But it's there. If you, I'm just telling you, if you one in a thousand is insane, but if you were to do a cardio MRI on people who got the shot, especially young males, you will see some degree of scarring and a lot more than one in a thousand. Probably more like one in thirty, if not more. So. There's that there. Then there's another document. I haven't gotten a chance to go through all of this. There's another document that they say, this is from Pfizer directly, the effects of the COVID-19 vaccine on sperm, a pregnancy, a fetus, or a nursing child are not known. Okay, I want you to understand that. Are not known. Huh? So you're mandating it, and when you admit it's not known. That is crazy. But we do know some degree of risk. I want you to listen to this clip here from Dr. Pierre. Pearson is an OBG for America's Frontline Doctors with a Simone Gold's group there. Take a listen to his presentation of the evidence from theirs on miscarriages.
1: Hello fact finders and truth seekers this is Dr. Peterson Pierre with America's Frontline Doctors bringing you today's Frontline Flash. So we know so far in VAERS there have been over 1 million adverse effects and deaths reported but here's something that's really not being talked about. The effect of these shots on the unborn. So if we take a look at some numbers from VAERS we know that there are 3,725 fetal deaths since these shots have been instituted. Okay. Now The CDC says there are about 550 million shots that have been administered. So, for every 147,651 shots, one fetal death. Now, we're going to take a look at all the uh, shots from previous vaccines between 2006 and 2019 there were 4 billion shots administered during this period of time and 1,369 fetal deaths, which equals to about for every 3 million shots, there's one fetal death. So if you do the math, you realize that since the COVID shots have been available, there's been a 1,925% increase in fetal deaths.
0: Did you hear that? A one thousand nine hundred twenty-five percent increase, so almost two thousand percent increase in VAERS reporting. Now, I think the way he phrased it is like an increase. It's not, we don't know an increase over a background rate, but it's an increase over the background VAERS rate if you compare to other vaccines, to other vaccines. So this almost a 2,000% increase in VAERS reporting of miscarriages versus a similar denominator, number of doses administered, of other vaccines. Again, we now know that VAERS is the tip of the iceberg, especially with miscarriages, because that's a delayed reaction by definition. So it's going to be woefully underreported. Woefully underreported. I mean, that in itself is just Crazy. But what are you going to do? Who's, who's going to stand for us? It's so one more story I want to share with you on that note. If you remember, we had Dr. Sam Sigalov on. He's active duty military. He's one of the whistleblowers of the military. He's a family doctor. He deals a lot with the wives and children of soldiers. Um, so he deals a lot with kids. Seems like he deals a lot with, 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 with babies and kids. And he he noted, you know, we're we're talking a lot about the risk of pregnancy, um, birth defects. He talked about nursing women. Nursing women. So there's a document that has been released, again, from uh, Pfizer. It's 5.36, Cumulative Analysis of Post-Authorization Adverse Event Reports. Um, it's that's the big document everyone's quoting from, you know, that has nine pages worth of adverse events. But this guy, Igor Chudov, he has a substack. You can go to igorchudov.substack, and he has a nice piece out. If you look at page 12, they talk about 270 mother cases and four fetus babies representing 270 unique pregnancies. Okay, and so there were 27, 270 pregnancies that occurred in their reporting, you know, throughout people who got the shot from their surveillance. One pregnancy resulted in a normal birth. Huh? Okay. Another birth reported, resulted in neonatal death. No other births were reported. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you 269 out of 270 died. They didn't. But in their, that's all they have. No other births are reported. 238 pregnancies had no outcome because they were still ongoing. In other words, during, they got pregnant, but they didn't go to term yet, right? Because it, it was at the time of their writing, this was late February, so it was early on. So 270 were pregnant among those that they monitored taking Pfizer. One gave birth, one died. Okay, so fifty percent. Now you can't draw any conclusions from that. But you certainly can't draw conclusions that it's safe. There were twenty-five No, but here's the deal. Well, Daniel, okay. So you mean two hundred seventy, one gave birth, one died, so there's two hundred and sixty eight that were just the pregnancy was still ongoing. No. Two hundred thirty-eight. Twenty five ended in Spontaneous abortion, miscarriage. Um, and there were seven more terminations of pregnancies. So, wait a minute. The only data we have is one in one, a 50-50 ratio? So that's, that's one thing he notes. Then, on this page 12, he notes another interesting thing. The sheer number of adverse effects. I, I can't believe no one else caught this, and, and kudos to, to Igor for catching this. But in infants who are breastfed by vaccinated mothers, and this is what, what Sam Sigalov was like when I called him the first time, you know, I expect him to talk about all different things in the military. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was breastfeeding babies. I was like, really? But take a look at this there were 116 cases of breastfeeding babies exposed to a mother, right? So 116 in their sample size. 17 cases of adverse events. That's a huge denominator there, a huge ratio of adverse events. What is that? 14% or so? Pyrexia, rash, vomiting, diarrhea, insomnia. Three of them were serious. Three out of one seventeen—that—that's a big deal. What in the world? What in the world? That is crazy. But I—I I, I remember thinking, you know, as um, you know, Sam told me that this was this was a big thing for him, and you know, when you see this document after having a doctor seen a bunch of breastfeeding feeding mothers and it was actually, he was the most alarmed by that more than anything. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's nuts. 17 out of 133, it's 12.7%. So 12.7% adverse reaction to babies out of their sample size. Okay, that is absolutely wild. Okay. Look at this. 124. Where is this? 124 mother cases. Um, where is this? Just trying to get some numbers here. 27 cases of fetal deaths, by the way, if you include what they call spontaneous abortions, other terminations. Now, I don't have offhand the numbers on the background rate with miscarriages, but that seems an awful lot. That seems pretty doggone high. So, um, you know, we're going to have to get into that more with some of our guests later in the week. Again, send me your comments, questions, concerns, uh, to Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Folks, <laughs> destroying our bodies, destroying our border, destroying our country. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to get hyped up about other people's bodies, other people's countries when it's our politicians, our government destroying our country and our bodies. If you believe in our cause, if you actually want to make a difference, Focus on what matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. This is your show. Send it to everyone of your friends and relatives. Um, uh, go to iTunes or anywhere you listen to the show. iTunes is great because you can give me a five-star rating with a comment. It really does help get us to the top. We have been in the top 100 on news commentary um, for a while, so this is this is good. Um, one more thing, May 22nd, save the date. If you want to meet me and other members of the show and have a five-day constitutional training and handgun defensive shooting training course out in the beautiful Whittington NRA Center in Raton, New Mexico. Come and join me. Really looking forward to it. Um, it's in Colfax County, New Mexico. Uh, PatriotAcademy.com is the place to go. Um, go to ConstitutionCoach.com and click on where it talks about me. You could click on how to... Um, sign up find out the information it's about 500 bucks for the course make this your early spring or mid spring vacation early summer vacation and come out let's learn how to shoot together Let's strategize together. Just enjoy each other's company. I love meeting you guys all. We did it in Nevada. Now we have a new venue in New Mexico. And by the way, the courses will be even better now because we'll have kind of more control over the structure of it. So definitely check that out. Go to constitutioncoach.com. Until tomorrow, folks, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.